What I plan to share with you this morning is the most important message you will ever hear. No, it has nothing to do with weight loss or how to look young and cute. It has everything to do with your soul. It is the most important message because your present, your future, and your eternity hinges on your decision or your response to this message. We find this message in the passage that our brother Jack just read for us. Now here's the message that I want to share with you. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. The most important message our soul needs. Here it is. Jesus Christ came to save sinners by calling them to repentance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners by calling them to repentance. And we find this explained in this passage, and I want to divide this into three. Number one, the call of Jesus, and that's in verse 27. The call of Jesus. Number two, the response to Jesus, and that's in verses 28 to 30. So there's the call of Jesus in verse 27, the response to Jesus in verses 28 to 30, and lastly, the gospel of Jesus in verses 31 and 32. The call of Jesus, the response to Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus. Let's look at verse 27, where we see the call of Jesus. If you look carefully at verse 27, it begins with the words, after this. Luke wants us to see this even as a succession of all that's been happening thus far. In chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue. And after having read a portion from the Old Testament, he claims that he is the promised Messiah. The long-awaited messianic era has begun. Sin has distorted all of God's creation. And the Messiah is here to liberate mankind from the effects of sin. So he heals the demon-possessed. And he heals the leper. He continues to preach the gospel of the kingdom that he has come to establish. And he invites graciously sinners to follow him. In the immediate context, or the context, the passage that's right before Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, Jesus does something controversial. He forgives sins. And then to prove his authority, he heals the paralytic. Two kinds of response follow. One is worship. Two is disbelief. And it is after this... That he went out, and we are in verse 27, and saw a tax collector named Levi, his other name being Matthew. It was common in the then world to have two names. Sometimes he must have been called Matthew Levi. Levi is sitting in the tax booth and Jesus says to him, follow me. It is important to understand that this call of Jesus is both gracious and glorious. Now, why do I say it is gracious? Well, look carefully at verse 27. Jesus is not the one who needs Levi. Levi is the one who is in need of Jesus. Why do I say that? Because Luke tells us that Levi is a tax collector. And tax collectors were people who charged tolls and taxes on behalf of the Roman government. But they demanded more 
than the actual tax. They were marked by greed and corruption. The rabbis considered them robbers. They were crooks, traitors. They coveted and stole. They took what belonged to others so that they would enjoy. Their ledgers were full of lies. People hated them, both Jews and non-Jews. They were unfit for any relationship with any Jew. How much more a relationship with Jesus? Verse 27 says that Jesus went out to Levi. This is Jesus' initiative. As a holy one of God, Levi has no standing before Jesus. There can't be a reason for Jesus to invite Levi to follow him other than grace. And what makes grace more beautiful is the fact that Jesus reaches out to Levi while he's still at the tax booth. Levi is busy serving his God, money. He's still in sin. If grace is unconditional love, then grace does not depend on the condition of the one loved. In saying, follow me, Jesus was graciously offering his kingdom to someone who does not deserve it one bit. So we will find grace to be beautiful only when we find how ugly our sins are. Jesus' invitation to follow him comes to people like us too. People who are stained with sin. People who lie. People who cheat, covet, hate, steal, gossip, are jealous. Addicted to porn, divisive, and impure. Jesus is calling us to abandon sins for Him. Will we forsake slavery to sin and submit to Jesus? Do we, do we recognize, friends, that our submission to sin is enmity to God? Friends, Jesus graciously invites us to Him. If you're living your life today serving sin, as Levi was, will you listen to the gracious call of Jesus and turn to Him in repentance? See, our presence in His kingdom depends on our relationship to Christ. And our relationship with Christ depends on whether we will turn from our sin to Him or not. This is a gracious call. But, this is also a glorious call. You might ask, who is Jesus to demand such allegiance? How people respond to this call depends on how people treat the person giving this call. The weight in this invitation depends on the weightiness of the one who is making this call. Therefore, we need to know who Jesus is. Luke answers it for us in his gospel. He is the king whose kingdom has no end. He is the good news for all people. He is the savior. He is the promised Messiah. He is the fulfillment of scriptures. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
He is the one whom demons and nature obey. He is the one who forgives sins. He is the one who was rejected, crucified and killed. He is the one whom death could not hold. He is the one who put an end to the reign of sin. He is the one who ended the agony of death. He is the one who rose from the dead. He is therefore Lord and Christ. He is the hope for all mankind. And it is in His name only that there is forgiveness for our sins. He is the one who will return to establish His kingdom. He is the judge and He will judge the living and the dead. And it is Him that all of us will meet face to face. And the only one to whom we will give an account. And it is before Him that everyone will kneel and bow down and confess You are Lord. Friends, this invitation is glorious because of who Jesus is. Follow me is not a Facebook friend request. Neither is it a tweet asking us to like him. Jesus does not want fans. He's got plenty of them out there. He wants followers. To follow Jesus is to abandon anything or anyone other than Jesus for Jesus. It is to listen to his voice, to submit to his rule, and to live for his glory. Now in the gospel of Luke, Jesus tells us that his disciples will do crazy things in chapter 14 verse 25 onwards. But Jesus says that they will love him more than their family. That they will love him more than themselves. That they will even give up their possessions for Christ, which means, which means, they will submit to Jesus, not to their daddy, mommy, and honey. They will sacrifice their status, fame, and comfort for the honor of Jesus, because He's infinitely more glorious than any applause or accolade we will receive here. Friends, the call to discipleship is not a cheap affair. It's a costly one. You can't have relationship with Jesus without abandoning all for Jesus. Jesus is calling us to a complete allegiance, not a partial association. doesn't want that. My dear brothers and sisters, it could be possible that our family, families, have greater authority over us than Jesus. We fear we will lose our family if we stand for Jesus. It could be possible that for some of us, our comfort and our status is more important than Jesus' name. We refrain from talking about Jesus when he gives us opportunity because we are scared we will lose friends, respect, and honor. We're more concerned about our name than Jesus' name. We think that we, we, we find greater joy in the things that Jesus gives us. Car, house, a good salary. We think that they will bring us true security and not Jesus. Oh friends, will you submit to Jesus today by forsaking these idols?
Will you repent of your sins, break your covenant with them, and flee from those idols that are a snare to your soul. Trust and submit to Jesus' rule. Maybe there are some here today who haven't considered the glory of Jesus and have therefore taken him lightly and have rejected him and his call. I plead with you, friends. I plead with you. Follow Jesus. So the the call of Jesus is both gracious and glorious. Now we need to see the response to Jesus, which is in verses 28, 29, and 30. And if you look at this section, you see two kinds of response. There is the response of Levi, and then there is the response of the Pharisees. Levi repents and celebrates. The Pharisees grumble. Levi repents and celebrates. Pharisees grumble. Look at Levi's response in verses 28 and 29. Verse 28 reads, And leaving everything. If you haven't marked that word, mark it. You're leaving everything. He rose and followed him. There has been this radical change in Levi's heart. Levi has, has made a breakup with his lifestyle. He left everything. His passion for and his pursuit of wealth for Jesus. Levi understood that his sins have not only distanced himself from his people, but also from God. His, his leaving everything is genuine repentance. It's turning from living in sin to the living God. Following Jesus was the most important decision that Levi ever made. (laughs) Look at the fruit of his repentance in verse 29. And Levi made him, who is Jesus, a great feast. This is party time. In his house, and there's a large company of tax collectors and others who are sinners reclining at the table with them. So there's Jesus, his disciples, Levi, other tax collectors, and other sinners. Levi throws a big party to celebrate grace. A great feast, back in the then world, is a cultural expression for joyful celebration. See, Jesus has extended his grace to Levi, and Levi is super excited. People who who have tasted grace are excited about grace. And the party is in honor of Jesus. Listen, guys, it's a purposeful party. It's not a purposeless party. Because Levi invites his friends to come to his house, who are tax collectors and sinners, so that Jesus would be able to extend his grace to these tax collectors and sinners. Levi wants them to taste grace the way he has tasted grace. Levi is concerned about their souls. He does not want them to pursue worthless things. Follow Christ. It's what he wants. And so he invites his friends. Jesus is there. There's party time. But it's purposeful party. You know, the expression at the table in that culture was a very important symbol of acceptance, closeness, and oneness. Don't think for a second that Jesus accommodated the sins of all the tax collectors and other sinners there. 
He is actually calling on these people to repent of their sins and to follow Him. So if Jesus is at the table, it is because He has forgiven these people of their sins. It is grace at the table. This is such a great celebration of grace. And we were celebrating grace thus far, singing these songs out here. People who have experienced grace exult in grace. They celebrate grace. It was Levi's appreciation of grace that moved him to invite others to Jesus Christ. Inviting others to know Christ is an expression of our celebration of Christ himself. Friends, if, if some of you are here today because someone from the church has invited you to this church, that's because they're excited about Jesus and His grace. And they want you to know the grace that is there in Jesus Christ. God reaches out to undeserving, rebellious sinners and calls on them to repent and have a relationship with Him. It's weird that while there's celebration in Levi's house, and there's grace all over the place, there's grumbling too. So if you look at verse 30, you have a group of people who are grumbling out there. (laughs) They are not happy with the concept of grace. It reads um, here, um, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do that? See, the Pharisees are scholars in the law. They knew about God like no one else did. And just in case God had some doubts, God would consult them. (laughs) They considered themselves good and righteous because of all the good works they did. They fasted. They tithed, they prayed hard, and they taught the law. They were self-righteous people. That is, their trust was in their own efforts. They thought they could earn a relationship with God because they did good things like fasting, tithing, praying, not being with sinners or talking to sinners, not being drunkards, not partying like Jesus. Or even stealing like the tax collectors. They lived like they had earned God's favor and recommendation. Notice something here. Their trust is in their self. Self Self-righteous people are self-worshippers. They have a high opinion about themselves. And so they condemn those who do not measure up to their standard. And in this context, the tax collectors and sinners... They would not only condemn them, they would also keep away from them lest they be defiled by their sins. And so they rejected the act of Jesus' grace and grumbled at him and his disciples. Do you see what's happening, friends? Self-righteousness is the number one enemy to grace. Self-righteousness is ugly because it makes God look like a debtor. Self-righteousness says, I did it, so God, you owe me. Grace opposes any form of self-righteousness because it forces you to take your attention off yourself and put it on God. 
It nullifies any effort we make to earn God's favor. Can you just imagine us doing everything that's good in our own eyes, and we come to God and God says, zero. Self-righteousness says, I deserve favor. Grace says, you can't earn it, and you don't deserve it. Yet, it will be given. That's what Jesus did. Levi does not deserve it. And neither does the tax collectors and sinners. They deserve separation. But grace creates relationship. Friends, have you been trying hard to earn God's favor by your good works? Do you trust in your good works before a holy God? God is so perfect and holy that there is no way we can achieve His perfection. Our works are no match for His goodness. Let me encourage you to abandon your trust in your works and in your goodness because our good works cannot earn anything before God. In fact, Galatians 2 verse 16 says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, obedience, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, we cannot meet God's standard. Only Christ has met the holy standard of God by obeying God perfectly. And because He did that, only He can secure a relationship for us with God. We can't be good enough to deserve a relationship with the holy God. We deserve hell. God's wrath. But grace creates relationship with undeserving sinners like us. Friends, I encourage you to place your faith in Jesus for a relationship with God. Not in your works. But hey, it is also possible that some of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ struggle with the sin of self-righteousness. And here are a few signs of self-righteous Christians. Number one, I see more sins in others than in myself. I am more disturbed by the sins in other people's life than the sins in my life. Number two, I outweigh or I outclass others in holy living. I don't talk like them or joke like them or watch movies like them or skip church like them. I go to church every Friday. Every Tuesday I'm there for the community group meeting. Every Wednesday I'm at Philip's house for the Bible study. You don't do that. And so I keep away from such people because I'm more holy. Number three, I gossip because the other person is worse than me. I'm the standard of righteousness. Number four, I am more interested in helping others see their sins than in asking them to help me see my sins. I'll say that once more. I am more interested in helping others see their sins than in asking them to help me see my sins. Six. 
It's been a long time since I last repented. I don't see many sins in my heart of late. So it's been a long time since I repented. And lastly, I rarely think of the cross. I'm so busy obeying God and trying to be holy. I rarely think of the cross. Um, Jerry Bridges says, self-righteousness is a gospel enemy because it disregards, devalues, and discredits the gospel of Christ. It puts down the work of Christ on our behalf. Oh, friends, flee from looking to self. It is Christ who has earned our salvation. Embrace the grace available in Christ. Seek His mercy. Cherish His cross. And live in freedom. Luke shows us the call of Jesus. And then he shows us the response to Jesus. And finally, he brings our attention to the gospel of Jesus. See, the Pharisees grumble. Luke repents and celebrates. And because the Pharisees grumble, Jesus takes this opportunity to share his purpose statement. His purpose statement is the gospel. And that's in verses 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' response is to the grumbling of the Pharisees. And he shares his mission statement, which is the gospel. He uses a, he uses a medical analogy to teach them the gospel. Look at his comparisons. There are those who are well, in verse 31. They are the healthy ones. They are compared to those who are righteous, in verse 32. The healthy ones are the righteous ones. Or rather, healthy before God. They don't need a physician. Who is Jesus in this analogy? And then there are those who are sick. They are the unhealthy ones. They are those who are sinners and are unhealthy before God. They need a physician. Jesus is that physician. I want to share with you four things that Jesus points about the gospel in this passage. Jesus wants us to know four things about the gospel. Number one, the gospel is not for the healthy. The gospel of Jesus is not for the healthy. It's not for the good. It's not for the righteous. If you think you are healthy, you're good, and you're righteous, then you don't need God. The gospel is not about us earning God's favor, but about God graciously bestowing His favor on us. But if you think you are fit or healthy to earn God's favor, then the gospel is bad news. It is bad news because the gospel says your good works cannot earn you a favor before God. The gospel is not for the healthy. Well, if it's not for the healthy, who is it for? That brings us to point two. The gospel is for... The unhealthy. It's for sinners. It's for unrighteous people. It's for the sick. The, the gospel is for those who admit that they are sick. It is good news for those who are sick. 
It is good news for people who admit that they have wronged others, hated others, stolen from others, lied to others, talked foolishly, lived in pride, committed adultery, been envious of others, held anger in their hearts toward others, and lived selfishly. It is good news because the good news says the physician is here. And the physician offers hope to the sick at heart. To those who struggle with sin in their heart. The gospel is good news because it says that there is healing available. And it is the physician that brings us healing. It brings us healing by joyfully and willfully becoming sin on the cross. So that we would be cleansed and declared righteous before the holy God. That's healing. The gospel is for the unhealthy. So the gospel is not for the healthy, it is for the unhealthy, and thirdly, the gospel calls for repentance. See, the gospel invites people to turn from their sin to God, because judgment awaits those who reject God. For those of us who reject God, there is God's holy wrath waiting in judgment. For those who rebel against him. But Jesus invites sinners to repent. It is about being honest about our sins. And fleeing from them to the only one. In whom God's mercy and grace is available. It's Jesus. It's about recognizing who Jesus is. And what he has done for us. He took our punishment. He took my punishment. He took my shame. He took my guilt and my condemnation upon himself so that I don't have to stand ashamed, guilty, and condemned before God. That's the gospel. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's actually asking us to turn from that which he died for to himself. Because only in Him, I have a standing before God. And He earned that for me. To repent is to give up all and cling to Christ. So it's not for the healthy. It's for the unhealthy. The gospel calls for repentance. And lastly, the gospel promises a relationship. You see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus' coming is to bring unworthy, law-breaking sinners into a relationship with God. He offers it to Levi, and he offers it to other tax collectors and sinners, and he offers it to us. In fact, his offer is a life with God instead of a life apart from God. His life of obedience, his death and his resurrection made it possible, finally, for sinners to enjoy communion with God. Sinners can now walk with God. That's what Jesus achieved for us. Jesus makes it possible for us to know God personally and serve him freely. And he promises this relationship only to those who turn to him and repentance. Friends, the message is still the same. God welcomes the unworthy to himself through the message of the gospel. What is the gospel? 
It is that Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. And he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God when all that we deserved was condemnation. None of our good works can earn God's favor. Only Jesus' perfect work can. He perfectly obeyed the Father. Not us. Not us. We cannot. He died the death we deserved to die. And resurrected from the grave, defeating sin and death. And he offers us a relationship with God. For those of us who have a relationship with this living God, friends, be grateful. Be joyful. Boast in Christ. Rejoice in what he has done. Exult in his grace, not in our good works. (laughs) Rejoice in his salvation. And for those who do not know this God, listen to the words of Jesus. Follow me. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you have not dealt with us as our sins deserve. We thank you that while we were still sinners, without hope, ungodly, and enemies of God, Christ died for us. So we rejoice in your grace. We exult in Christ and in his finished work on our behalf. Thank you for saving us. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name.